Hey, have you ever noticed how people can confuse some of the simplest situations in life and make them into some of the most confusing and mixed up, misunderstood types of, uh, of ordeals? There was a young man who graduated recently from a small college in the South. He had never been too far from home, never been to any big city, just basically lived within 10 miles radius of his home. And uh, he was asked at a graduation party at this particular college, he was asked what his plans were now that he had graduated from college. And he said, oh boy, you know, I got me a job in New York City. I'm going to be working on Wall Street. And there was a woman who had overheard the conversation and went over to him and said, excuse me, sir, I understand that you're going to be working in New York City, that you got a job on Wall Street. And, well, you know, my son works there. And I was wondering, I haven't talked to him in a few months, if you happen to run into him, would you please tell him to give me a call? And he said, well, sure, ma'am, what's his name? And she said, well, his name is John Dunn. And he said, fine. So a few weeks later, he's walking down Wall Street, he's walking along the streets of New York City, and he looks up and he sees a big sign, and the sign says, Dunn and Bradstreet. And he remembers this conversation that he has with this woman and decides, that, well, this would be a great opportunity to go look up her son. So he walks into the receptionist and says, excuse me, ma'am, is there a John in this building? And uh, she said, yes, there is, if you just go down this hallway, the second door to the left. He said, thank you, and he walked down the hallway, goes in the second door to the left, walks in, there was a man in there washing up, and he said, excuse me, sir, are you done? And he said, yes, I am. He goes, well, great, I've been looking all over the place for you. Quick, call your mama, she's been worried about you. And you go, what in the world? I mean, you know, we, we get into situations like this, and you wonder sometimes, how, how does this happen? And, and, the, and the Bible teaches so many things that are so simple, and yet we just totally confuse and distort and misinterpret, and we turn them into things that God never intended them to be. And probably the, the greatest distortion of anything that God has ever tried to get across to us is the distortion or the confusion that we'll see as we, as we get into what we're going to talk about today. But let me ask you a question. How many of you are skeptical when told that you can get something for nothing. Just about everyone, right? And, and for a good reason. I mean, how many of you get, you get these letters, these exclusive personal invitations, right? You ever get these? They're form letters, they come bulk mailed, and then they always misspell your last name. I got one of those. It's like your personal, your personal, exclusive personal invitation. If you just come and you come to this car sale, they'll give you a free gift. Then I'm thinking, well, how am I going to get this free gift? I got to go to the car sale. So it's not, not free. I got to go pick it up. Or you get these timeshare things. Look, a free weekend. All you have to do is sit in a room with three guys who have been trained not to let you go <laughs> until you buy something. There's bars on the window and the doors are all locked. And it's a five-hour presentation where you are till you drop dead and sign anything. But it's a free weekend. Been there, huh? Those are great. We went to one of those once. And I know who talked me into it. But I'm not going to say. And it was like, oh, my. And then we got, no, we got, we got, this was our free gift. A badminton set. We used it once. It broke. One of the things, one of the, what do you call those little things? You know, with the big old thing, the net, and pump, net. what do they call it? Racket. Are they really, they're rackets. Same as tennis. 
Well, there you go. Now I know. So I learned something by being here today, and I hope that you will too. Um, all right, I, here's, an, here's another little deal. You knew it was coming to stuff like this eventually, but all right, money. Let's take money. Now, what do you notice about this? This is a $5 bill for those in the back of the room, $5 bill for those in the front of the room. <laughs> it's pretty much the same, isn't it? No, for those in the back of the room, it's a $100 bill. And, and now, what do you notice about this? Y'all want some money? Here's some money. There's a string attached, right? Pardon me? Well, all the money in the world belongs to lawyers. They just let us use what we need for a little while, and then they say, it's time to give it all back. And I know, I was just there this week, huh? I know exactly what that's all about. All right, now, so here it is, money. You can have this, but you usually have to do something for it, right? I mean, you, know, you have to, I mean, if you want money, you're going to have to do something to get it. You know, you work for it, uh, you, you do whatever you have to do, you know, and that's where we get these phrases like, there's no free lunch, you know, nothing's free, you have to work for it, you have to earn it if you want anything. You know, even lottery tickets, you have to, you have to buy them. I mean, nobody gives anybody anything for free. And in a lot of areas of life, that is so true. But the problem is, in this one particular area of life, it's not true. And that's why we get so confused. And the problem that we have in dealing with this thing that the Bible calls grace is that everything in life tends to have string attached, but when it comes to grace, there are no strings attached. But it's so hard to understand that, and it's so hard to believe that, and it's so hard to figure it all out because there's nothing else on the face of the earth like what the Bible teaches as far as God's grace is concerned. The first time time it's mentioned, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6 is the first mention of this concept that God wants us to understand and to learn. And in Genesis 6, we read about God's grace, God's favor for the first time. Let's just start with verse 5 and take it through verse 8. Genesis 6, verse 5 says, Now the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great, on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Things are pretty messed up. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And he said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have ever made them. What an indictment at this particular point in time where God looks at everything that he created and he says that man's thoughts were continually on doing evil. Now, I've got to admit, there are a whole bunch of parallels to the day and age that we live in today. That man is continually deriving or, or contriving ways to do that which is evil before God, justify it, rationalize it every way that we can, but God looks at our heart and he looks at our thoughts and he sees what we're doing and he says, you know what, nothing much has really changed, but I got a solution for it. He says the thoughts of man were continually on evil and that's the state of things and so he was going to set about to destroy everything that he had made. But then in verse 8 we see this, but Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. Man was wicked, man is evil, nothing was good in anybody on the face of the earth, and God looks at Noah and says, but Noah is finding favor in my eyes. I will demonstrate my grace to him and to his family. Now, when you read this, 
And when I read it, I have to know why God did that. I, I, I mean, it's just the way that I am. Why did God choose Noah to demonstrate His grace, His mercy, His compassion, whatever you want to look at and however you want to call it? But I just look at it this way. Why did God choose Noah to cut a break? God chose Noah to cut him a break. There's no way you can get around it. Now, the problem is we all want to know why God did that. And so we come up with all kinds of reasons why. Well, Noah obviously couldn't have been like everybody else. Noah had to be different than everybody else. He, you know, maybe Noah wasn't thinking evil thoughts. Maybe Noah wasn't doing wrong things. Maybe Noah was going to church. Maybe Noah was teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe Noah was, uh, you, know, he, you know, he wasn't going to R-rated movies. Uh, maybe, maybe Noah wasn't, you know, he was drinking or smoking or chewing or, or running around with women who do. You know, there, there had to be a reason why God cut Noah a break. Are you with me? And we read this, and, and then we want to know why. Because there had to be a reason that God did what he did. So we jump down to verse 9. It says, the records of the gener- these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. There it is. That must be it. That must be why God cut Noah a break. Because he was blameless. He was righteous. He walked with God. That had to be it, right? The problem is that that is not true from the standpoint of what we're looking at. The Bible clearly teaches that none of us are righteous. Not one of us. That each one of us have gone astray. That all of our works and all of the good things that we think that we're doing are like filthy rags to God. There's nothing good in any one of us. And so we read that and we begin to read into it what we believe that it's saying that Noah was somehow different than the rest of the people of his generation. But we realize that there was nothing good in any of us. And Noah was no exception. Because through Adam, sin entered the world. You see what I'm saying? For the wages of sin is death. Every one of us are dead in our sins, including Noah, including his family. There was nothing different about them, according to the word of God, other than the fact he was righteous, which meant he was blameless before men. No one can find any accusation in man's rules and man's standards. He did nothing that was wrong. But before God, he was still indicted. He was still a sinner. He was still wrong before God. He still violated God's standards. All of sin and falls short and all means all. And that includes Noah and his family and includes all of us. And so we look at that now and all of a sudden it changes how we think. Why did God choose to show Noah grace? Because he just simply did. But we don't understand that. Because who does that for us? Who just pulls us out of the crowd and says, I want to do something nice for you. But why me? Because I just chose you. That's why. But that doesn't make any sense. Nobody does that. There must be a, there's a string attached somewhere. You want something. Something's going on here. If you don't believe me, let's look at another example. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Here's another one that gives everybody a headache. Luke chapter 1, we, we see a situation where you look at it and we're talking about Mary as she's chosen by God. In Luke 1, look at verse 26. You know, it's interesting, too, for those of you who are really kind of still going, well, wait a minute, he was, Noah was righteous, he was blameless. Read Job chapter 1. We know that Job was righteous, that he was blameless. And I know that immediately we begin to think of, oh, well, wait, 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 Job was like that. But read Job chapter 42, where Job said, you know what? I realize now there's nothing good in me, and I repent 
and I retract everything I said, and I retract every question, God, that I ask of you of why you allow these things to happen to me, because what you demonstrated by allowing this to happen was that there were areas of my life that were hidden from me, but were open and vulnerable and naked to you, and you saw that no one else saw, and I retract, and I repent, and I cover myself with ashes, and I ask for your forgiveness. But we know that he was righteous also before men and blameless in the sight of man, but not before God. Now we got the story of Mary, and she's chosen by God to, to bear the Savior of the world. And in Luke 1, 26, we read this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. The term favored one means, Hail, one who is full of God's grace. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. As the Catholic tradition holds, we begin to ask questions about, well, why did God choose Mary? And their answer, and I know because I'd been there, their answer is simple. Because she was sinless and she was perfect, otherwise it makes no sense that God would choose her. And as we begin to read through this, but what does God say about his choice of Mary? says he chose her hail mary full of grace why was mary full of grace was it she was full of her own grace or she was full of the grace of god in john 1 which we looked at a couple of weeks ago the last time we were together and we were looking at this we realized that jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth and as you look at this and you go but mary was full of grace well she sure was if she had jesus whom she was carrying he was full of grace but God's grace was given to her. It was nothing that she had on her own. And you say, but I don't believe that. And I've got many Catholic friends and we discuss things like this and it's pretty interesting. He, I had one friend I just talked to last week. He says, but I, I realize that we differ on this, but I like praying to Mary. Why? Well, because she got the inside scoop. See, it's like, you know, his rationale, which is interesting and, and it's logical according to man, but it's like, if you want to get to the guy, get to his wife. Isn't that true? Let's face it, you know, some of the most influential people on the face of the earth are the women behind the men who make decisions. Yeah, yeah and that one lady says, amen, preach it, brother. Because <laughs> that's the gal, you know, that's the wife. She's laying in bed saying, you know, honey, I really think that, you know, this is something you should consider. And he goes, Okay. But, but it's true, and that's okay, because that's what God has put two people together for, to complement one another, to help each other, to help see things that we miss, that I would miss, that Linda would see, for example. And that's all good stuff. But the most influential people, a lot of times, are the ones behind the scenes. So his, his rationale is, look, if I can get in good with Mary, then she can pass it on to Jesus. Oh, I see. Okay. But why would you want to do that? Because my rationale is, cut out the middleman. We're cutting the middleman out. We're going right to the factory. Right? You know, that's the way that we look at things. But here's Mary who is full of grace. And it says in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to him, I've been waiting for you because I deserve it. Where you been? Did she say that? I'm perfect. I'm sinless. I've been, oh man, I've been walking the straight and narrow and it's about time I got a break. She said, ah, how can this be? I can't have a child. 
I'm a virgin. Which is hilarious because that was one of the qualifications for this particular role. But, said, but the angel answered and said, you know, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she was called barren and is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says, Behold, the bond slave of God. Be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Most High God. Whatever God wants is all right with me. But why did he choose her? Because she was perfect, because she was sinless, because she was different than you or I or anybody else? And the answer is God chose her because he chose to chose her. And if you don't doubt it, or something like that, you know what I'm saying? Because he just wanted to. How's that for those of you who are just sitting there going, you know, I just wish he'd straighten up on his English. <laughs> He's got such potential, but he keeps bringing up stuff like that, and I just lose him at that point. All right, all right. Okay, if you, don't, if, you, if you doubt what I'm saying, jump down to um, verse 46. Mary explains to Elizabeth what happened. And she says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Now, if you ain't a sinner, you don't need saved from nothing. And I try to explain that to my friend. If you're not a sinner, you don't need a Savior. Because the only thing a Savior does is save you from the, the consequences or the judgment of God for sin. And she said about herself, and God is very clear to make sure that we understood this, as he records it in his word, that Mary says about herself a self-assessment, hey, I exalt in God my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bondservant. For behold, from this time and on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. And holy is His name and His mercies upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. It says He has done mighty deeds with His arm, and He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. And He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich, handed, the rich empty-handed. For he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. You cannot miss what she is saying. I am a humble servant of God, and God chose to do what he did. He goes all through that. He has had regard. The mighty one has done great things for me. It's his mercy. It's his doings. It's his mighty arm. It was he who scattered. It is he who brought down. It is he who exalts those who are humble. It is he who lifts up those who are humble before his sight. It is all God's doing. It's God's choice. And he does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. You say, man, but I, I don't know. Well, let's look at one more example. The most amazing thing to me is that God chooses to do what he wishes to do and does not take into consideration whether you deserve it or you don't deserve it. He just does it. The Apostle Paul explains grace very briefly and very succinctly as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11. He says this, For I am the least of the apostles, 
I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. The Apostle Paul, a great Christian leader, was blown away by the grace of God. He didn't even understand it. Here was a man who hated Christianity. Here was a man who hated Jesus Christ and everything that he stood for, the movement that was taking place during his time. He hated all of it. He didn't believe the claims of Christ. He brutally participated in the murders of those who did. And here he makes a statement about God that just just floors him. He said, you know what? I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. Those who believed in Him, I went after with vengeance and I destroyed them and I persecuted them. I was heartily in approval of the murder of Stephen and I went about the countryside taking him into prison and I threw him into jail. said, "I, I don't deserve what God has done. There's the contrast. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. We want to read through it and say, you know what? He deserved his position in life. He deserved the promotion. He deserves all the press that he gets. He deserved to be hired by the largest churches of the world. He deserved whatever it is that he had. And he said, let me tell you something. I'll explain it to you myself. I didn't deserve any of it. In fact, if I deserved anything, it was to be judged by God for what I was doing. But he chose not to do that. I don't understand it. But he did it. And that's just the way that it is. And as I read through this, you know, I begin to realize, you know, to many of us, grace is something that we say before meals. And as simple and beautiful it is, and we illustrated that, it's, it's something that, that, that's gracious, it's something that's humble, it's something that, that's, a, you know, it's a wonderful expression to God of, of our relationship with Him and all those things. But you know what? It isn't even close, man. It is light years away from everything that God is trying to tell us about His grace. Let me give you three facts. Consider this based on what Paul is saying. Fact number one about God's grace. God does what he does by his grace. I already mentioned to you, if you read Acts chapter 7 and and chapter 8, the first few verses, you'll read that, you know, Paul, whose name was Saul, was in hearty approval of the murder of Stephen. The first person in the the history of the church to die for their faith or their belief in Jesus Christ said that all those who stoned him laid their coats. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll be right back. <clears throat> wow, there's all kind of stuff down there. Um, <clears throat> but he was saying that, you know, and he was in hearty approval. They laid their, their robes there. He watched them so that they'd have just a free, oh, here, let me hold your coat so you can really get that rock up over your head and drop it on them. And, and, and then he marched about and persecuted the church. He said, but what I learned by God's grace is that he does what he does by his grace. And if you read Ephesians chapter 1, in fact, if you got your Bibles, flip to it. Ephesians 1, we see how true this really is. I'm sorry, 2 verses 1 through 7. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as, as the rest. What he's saying is every person that's born in this world got a problem, 
and we're separated from God because we're in rebellion against God. We don't think like God wants us to think. We don't do what God wants us to do. We've got this blot in our life. It's called sin, and it separates us from God. He said, and we all live according to that. We, we don't know any better. We do what's best for us. It doesn't matter what God says. We just want to go our own way. And that's exactly what he's saying here. This is the way that we live our life. By nature, we're children of wrath, even as the rest of those are on the face of the earth. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In, the, in order that in the ages to come he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what he's saying? Why does God show us His grace? Because it's going to demonstrate how, how gracious and how kind and how forgiving and how loving God truly is. Because we did nothing to deserve it, for it's by grace we've been saved through faith, as it says in the next couple of verses, and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, so none of us can boast. There won't be a person that's in heaven that isn't there because God showed him or her his grace. Now, I want you to stop and think about something. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrates that grace. Just as you are. Just like the hymn says. Come to me just as you are. And that's the truth. Just where you're at in life, what you're doing in life, how you're thinking in life, you don't need to stop doing stuff and start doing more stuff. The Bible says there's nothing you're going to be able to do to earn favor with God. All you need to do is just simply receive this gift that God has to give you. And it's so different than anything else in the world, it's no wonder that we're so confused by it. But God's message is simply this. God does what he does because he chooses to do it. All right? Now, I want you to stop and think about something. God chose Noah because he simply chose Noah. God chose Mary because he simply chose Mary. God chose the Apostle Paul because he simply chose the Apostle Paul. God chooses you and he chooses me because it's his choice and not our choice. God chooses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and the thing that gives all of us a headache about God giving gifts to people and not some to some and, and other gifts to other people, it says that the Spirit of God distributes gifts to those whom he chooses. And he gives the gifts that he gives toward those who he chooses. See, now, now where's this a pr practical application? Let me give you something to think about. One of the biggest problems that man has is that man thinks that man makes the choices. Right? And so what man does is he comes up with a whole bunch of qualifications of how they're going to make choices. We're going through that with, the, you know, trying to find a pastor. Come up with a whole bunch of qualifications of what it's going to take to find a pastor for this church. Right? Oh, everyone's thinking we're on sensitive ground here. Well, let me tell you something. I know we are, so don't even worry about it. <clears throat> now, what I want to try to get across, and I want you to listen very clearly, is this. See, God gifts men and women as he chooses to. There are those who are gifted, that are apostles, and they're evangelists, and they're pastors and teachers, 
and all you got to do is read Ephesians 4 and, and Romans 12 and, you know, 1 Corinthians cha chapter 12 and just read about gifts. You know, God chooses to do that. Now, the danger of it is this. We want to have a long list of things in addition to what God says are the qualifications for someone that he's chosen. Now, I'm not, and understand what I'm saying, I'm trying to be very sensitive about this because it's not an easy situation to be in trying to, to fill a role, trying to find a person that meets the needs of everyone because we're all so weird and we're all so different. And, you know, we throw it out to vote and there's, there'll never be a pastor here out there yet right now. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but, the, but, the, the, but the reality of the matter is this, is that, see, and, and I wrote this down so I didn't mess it up. <clears throat> What man chooses to do will never replace or accomplish what can be done by God through those that are gifted by God, that are faithful in their service to Him, and have been called by God to exercise that gift, and not hired by man. That's where the struggle is. See, and I'll give you a demonstration of it. Easter Sunday. We got a long list of credentials. I mean, I couldn't wait. To hear this man speak. Now I'm not. Now listen, very. Now I know I got to be real careful here. <laughs> and the and the reason for it was is that everything the world had to offer in the business that this gentleman is in, which is the preaching business. See, the world came up with all the degrees. I can't find any here anywhere in Scripture. Can't find one. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. All I'm saying is that when I, we take our focus off of God's gifts and put it onto man's credentials or man's made qualifications, we run into a lot of trouble. So we start listening and it's like, wow, look at this. All these degrees and you know, teacher to the preachers and the preacher to the preachers and 600 radio stations. And man, I start reading this. I'm going, man, this is going to be awesome. And it was awful, in my opinion. You all have a different opinion. Well, there's one amen, there's another opinion. But I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this to, to generate that. Um, although, you know what I'm saying. But the reason I'm saying that is this. You ever listen to Billy Graham speak? All right. Now, you ever see a man who opens a Bible, he's gifted by God, he's called by God to do what he's doing, and he answered that call. He opens a Bible and he starts to preach from the Bible. He takes maybe five, six, seven verses, and he begins to explain them one at a time. And you sit there and you go, Whoa. Why? Because the Word of God goes out and it doesn't come back empty. Because the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. That's the Word of God. That's what God uses to penetrate the lives of men and women with His truth. And see, and what was lacking, and it's easy to stand here and be critical, and that's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to be as gracious as I can to make a point because it's important to make it and illustrate it while it's still fresh in everyone's mind. But what was lacking was we had the persuasiveness of man Void of the Spirit of God. And when you walk out of a situation like that, you go like this. What in the world happened? What happened? What happened is that all of us as men and women can rely more on our abilities than we do on God's Spirit. I'm as guilty as anybody else. Because when you stand and you've got to do this week after week after week, you know, sometimes, you know, you're just kind of getting it out in your own strength. And that's just reality. And that's why you leave and you go, I don't know. 
But there are other times you leave and you go, man, you know what? That was so simple. It was so true. It was so life-changing. God was in it. See the difference? There's a huge difference. Take that for whatever it's worth, but there's no way that you can get around what God is trying to say to us. God still chooses the simple things of this world to confound the wise. There's nothing wrong with man's degrees and man's credentials and all the rest of that. But don't you ever get so sucked up in all of that that you forget that this isn't like any other business. This is God's business. And He lays the ground rules out. And He lays the gifts out. And He distributes to whom He wishes. And He calls those whom He calls. And He gifts those whom He gifts for the purpose of preaching His Word, for the purpose of building up the body, for the purpose of teaching truth so that the Spirit of God will go out and convict men and women and let them know that they're dead in their sins and they need the grace of God. All right? That's it. Now, you know, and I realize that I probably offended 50% of you. And, and I would just hope that you could be gracious as I try to be in making a point that I thought was important to make. That you just take it, you listen, you look at the Word of God, you study it yourself, and then you see what, what God will teach you about the things that we're struggling with. And there's obviously reasons that we are. You know, and there's nothing wrong with degrees, but I'll tell you what, some of the most powerful preachers of our day are guys that, sure, they have doctorates, but you know what, though? They never lean on their doctorate. They lean on the Word of God. Isn't that true? Dr. Billy Graham. But you know what? The man just opens the Word, and he just begins to teach us from it. Dr. Howard Hendricks, marvelous speaker, marvelous teacher. But you know what? You never know. He had multiple degrees. If you ever met him and talked to him or ever sat in, in any seminar that he's ever done, he just opens the Bible, and he teaches from it. See, we need to stop leaning on that and start leaning on the Lord again in our life. Number two, that goes back to this, and that is Paul says, you know what, if there's anything good in me, you know what, I am what I am by the grace of God, and that's all there is to it. I am what I am by the grace of God. Every one of us are who we are by the grace of God. You know, it's if Paul's saying, you know what, there's nothing that was good in me, and anything that you think is good in me, well, I just want to let you know that there's really nothing good in me, but it's all by the grace of God. And you know what? And I can make the same statement. I hope that you can too. If anyone thinks there's anything good in me, the only thing that you think that's good in me would be something that God makes you think is good in me. Because it ain't me. I am what I am by the grace of God. And so are you. And so are every one of us as we look around and we need to understand that and we need to recognize that. You know, I, you know, having had the time that I did to work with professional athletes, one of the most refreshing things that I ever saw was demonstrated by, you know, a guy named Steve Largent, who now is a congressman. And he said, you know what, Chuck? You know, it, it, people look at me and think that I'm, you know, this great athlete, and there's all these great things in me and stuff. But you know what? The bottom line is 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, if there's anything that I've received, I've got from God. Whether it's athletic ability, whether it's size, whether it's strength, whether it's intellect, whether it's a, you know, a successful business, whether it's money, whether it's material things, whether, whatever it is, whether it's your, your family, whatever it is that you've got, God has given it to you. And it's by His grace that He's chosen to do that. And that's what confounds the wisdom of the world. We get all confused by it. Why am I still in the NFL and all these other people aren't? Why have I been successful in business and people I know have worked harder aren't? 
or they haven't had the material success that I did? Why do we have children and other people that I know that love the Lord and they, they, they can't have children? Why, why do I have cancer and other people that I know that haven't walked with God, you know, they don't get it. Why, why, why? Grace, grace, grace. That's it. God does what he wants to do. And whatever I am, I am by the grace of God. And it's wonderful because this is what all leads up to. And I accept you by the grace of God. I accept you by God's grace. I can live with you because of God's grace. My wife is extremely different than I am. Hallelujah. <laughs> always one in the crowd. There's always one. <clears throat> but the only way we can even live with each other is by the grace of God. The only way we can accept each other is by God's grace. She's different than I am. I'm different than she is. We're all different than one another. The only way we can live with each other is by God's grace that says, I accept you as you are because God's grace allows me to do so and because you are the way you are because of God. I like this. You know, but, but some of us aren't, aren't quite there yet. Here, here's the, here's the, the scene. Picture this scene, okay? There's these two individuals that are walking down the street. One's a real dominant, aggressive type. He's philosophizing along the way with his friend. And this guy's real quiet, kind of, you know, low-key, more passive. The one who, who has the boldness says to the, to the other one, you know what? If I were in charge of the world, I'd change everything. And the passive guy kind of looks at him, kind of intimidated and says, well, well, you know, what would you change and where would you start? And he looks right at him and says, I'd start with you. <laughs> and you go, whoa, aren't there people like that in your life? Don't you feel that way? There are people around us that are just like that. If I was in charge of the world, the first place I'd start changing things is with you. Man, that's a graceful type spirit, huh? That's a big old no face. You know? But people are like that. It's amazing. I'd start there. Why? Because I don't need to start here. I'm all right. But you're not. And that's where they start. And they just want to, you know, talk about killing grace. I think I'll start there. Man, we've all been there. You know, there, there, there are many of us who confront that on a regular basis. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's people at church. You know, there are always people out there trying to kill grace, trying to make you be what they think you should be instead of just accepting who you are by the grace of God and allowing God to change you. God does a better job anyway than we'll ever do. Tell you what, you try to change me, I'll fight you all the way. But you start praying for me, then all of a sudden God gets involved. And if he wants to change me, I can't help but be changed. But don't you try to change me. You even try it. I ain't flinching. Isn't that true? Think about it. Try to change your kids. And let them know you're trying to change them. Ain't no way you're changing me. Even though I've been wanting to change for a long time. Now I can't. That's true. It's like, man. Listen to this story. Maybe you have a boss like this. Jackie Hudson writes a story in this article. She goes like this. Early in my career, I had a boss who held the numerous spoken and unspoken rules. One was that I needed to have my lights out by 11 p.m. so I wouldn't be tired on the job the next day. Well, his house wasn't far from mine, and if he noticed my lights on after 11, I heard about it the next morning. It's funny he didn't drive over and tell her to go to bed. I remember my first compliment from him. I worked there for a full year. 
I'd been given a project and worked night and day to make it perfect and try to win his approval. Since the day after the event, he wanted all the other employees to arrive an hour early to help with the preparations. Even after I explained to him that it wouldn't be necessary, but he insisted everyone get there an hour early. So we all got there an hour early and stood around with nothing to do. Then the program began. It says, I couldn't have been more pleased with the event. The project was flawless. But afterwards, my boss came up to me, looked down at the floor, and out of his mouth came the long-awaited words, Well done, Miss Hudson. Wow! My year in this environment brought on a remarkable response. I couldn't stand the guy. I was in complete rebellion. I was hardly growing in grace because grace is fertile soil. Grace focuses on who God is and on what He has done and takes the focus off of ourselves. And it's so easy to think that we need to do something to earn God's favor even though grace is too good to be true. As though somehow grace is too good to be true. Isn't that the way it is? I want to ask you a question. You ask yourself a question. How many of you think God is grading you every day? Oh, had a tough day today. C minus. Saw you on the freeway. F. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like every day we think God's grading us. Somehow we think that God's acceptance of us is based on our performance. That somehow I've got to do more and do better and, 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 and be involved in more stuff. And the reason for it is because oftentimes, since the church is this voluntary army of people, right? The only way we can get people to do things is we've got to make them feel guilty. That's what we think. That's what we believe. The only way we can get people to serve in the church is make them feel guilty. See, that's what the Catholic Church tried to do. You're going to have to earn, earn your salvation. It's not based on grace. It's not because God chooses you. It's based on working your way to heaven. The world likes that. I like that to some degree because then I know if I get there, I earned it. And if you're going to get there, you better earn it too. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So if you get there, it's because God has chosen to allow you to be there. And if I get there, I can't brag about it either. So we're all going to be together knowing that none of us deserve to be there. Man, that sure messes up the whole class system, doesn't it? And what, what's happening here is we've got people around us who want to make us feel guilty in order to somehow get us to do what they think needs to be done. And all I say is this. Grace motivates people to do what God has gifted them to do because they simply want to do it as a response to the grace of God. Stop laying guilt trips on people. Stop laying guilt trips on your kids. Stop laying guilt trips on your spouse or on your friends or on people that only come to church two out of four Sundays or one out of four Sundays or they come Easter or they, well, now you know why people come Easter and Christmas don't come any other time of the year. But it's like, you know, Oh, that no, no, was just a joke now. <laughs> ah, maybe it wasn't. <clears throat> oh, maybe I should stop. Oh, we're out of time. Oh. But see, but, but, but that's what it is, right? There's this mentality that we, we want. You know what? Let me tell you something. Let's get this straight before we leave here today. Understand this. God isn't angry with us anymore. He's not mad at you anymore. 
He's not angry with me anymore. You know why? Because he chose to pour all that anger on Jesus. The wrath of God, the anger of God was poured on Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, listen to me, God was fully satisfied with everything that he did. If you believe that and you receive that gift of grace, God is no longer angry with you. Right? Now, if you haven't, then the wrath of God is yet to be judged against you. See, it's real simple. I go, okay, let me get this straight. If I believe what God did, He's no longer angry with me. If I don't believe what He did, then I'm going to hell. It doesn't seem like too tough a choice. But we make it one. You know why? Because God has to make that clear to us. God isn't upset with us anymore. You don't have to do anything anymore to try to please God any more than what Jesus did. Let me give you an example. Elizabeth Elliot writes about a young man who had just become a Christian. He was trying to figure out some way that God would be more pleasing to him. And so there must be some way to live your life that God would even be more pleasing with you after you've accepted what Jesus did for you. So here was his rules and here was his, here was his logic. He says, I've got to give stuff up. Colored clothes, for one thing, got to go. Get rid of everything in your wardrobe that's not white. Stop sleeping on a soft pillow. Sell your musical instruments and don't eat any more white bread. You cannot, if you're sincere about obeying Christ, take warm baths or shave your beard. To shave is to lie against God who created us and attempt to improve on his work. That was his list of stuff that would make him more pleasing to God. And you think that's stupid. Listen to this. That was the answer given in the most celebrated Christian schools of the second century. Is it possible that the rules have been adopted by 20th century Christians? What do you think you've got to do to be more pleasing to God? Man, I'll tell you what. This is, this is, this is that's what I'm saying. This is so simple, but it gets so confusing because we tend to confuse it. But let me close with this. Three terms I want you to remember. Number one is vengeance. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say for a moment, you know, this, this, this tragic bombing that took place in Oklahoma City. It's just, it's horrendous. But it also helps us to understand how totally depraved man is. There's nothing good in man. I don't know how in the world anybody ever thinks that there is. There isn't anything. God's real clear about it, and that's why we need God's grace. But let's just suppose for a moment that the people that did this are caught. As you look at this situation, and you're one of the parents of one of the children that are killed, you catch the second guy that, as far as I know, still hasn't been caught yet, but I'm sure will be shortly. You catch him. The word vengeance comes to mind because what you'll do, potentially, you can just take that into your own hands and you can just go ahead and execute them right there on the spot. That's vengeance. Now, if you don't want to do that, then you go to the next step, and that is, well, we'll turn them over to the authorities and, and give them a fair trial, and hopefully at the end of all of that, you know, that it won't be so confused and so manipulated that we can still see what's right and wrong, and that we'll be able to enact justice. You got it? And you sit in the courtroom, and you watch the proceedings, and when they're found guilty, 
you know, there's justice, and you go home, and that's the end of it. Now, you're the parents of one of these children that have just been killed. Those are two choices. Vengeance, take matters in your own hand. Justice, allow the authorities to do it. Or, let's just suppose for a moment that you found this person, that you forgave them for what they did. And then not only that, but you brought him into your own home to live with you as a son that he just killed for the rest of your life. That's inconceivable, isn't it? But that's exactly what grace is. God is saying, if you simply believe what I want to offer you and receive it, you killed my son. Your sin killed my son. But I want to bring you home and I'm going to make you a son. And if you believe in him, you'll become a child of mine by believing on what he did. And you will live with me for all of eternity. That's grace. And that's why it's so hard to even begin to imagine. But it's true. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not from ourselves. It's a gift from God. Not of works. So that none of us will ever be able to boast. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time to look into your word to see what your truth is on the subject of grace. That it really is grace with no strings attached. There are no demands of us. There aren't even any requirements of us. Jesus did it all, and all to him we owe. God, we just thank you for your grace, and we understand now why it's so hard to understand and why we distort it so much, and why we try to still add more things to it, and try to earn our way, and, and earn our keep. And yet, you clearly teach that you choose who you choose, because you have chosen to do so. And God, all we can say is, thank you. And that's even more than you expect. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.